Well, good morning. It's good seeing you in here today. For those of you who are gathering with us in person, I got to say, I'm honestly a little bit surprised. When we saw that rain coming down sideways about 20, 30 minutes ago, we thought nobody would be here today. So, so thank you for coming out and braving this crazy weather. I was telling the people in first service, man, I've been praying for rain for a while. My grass is very brown and yellow and crusty. And I know the farmers could sure use the rain, but it seems like, uh, wow, this rain that we're getting, it's, it's a bit much, right? It's been crazy. Did anyone else have issues with water in the basement like we did? Anyone? Some of you? I know I talked to some people who had that problem, and and I was telling the folks in first service, man, I'm I'm all about, you know, like, I love the rain. I love playing, you know, with my kids in the rain. They love that. Uh, But uh, man, cleaning up after the rain floods my basement is not one of my favorite activities. I do not I do not really enjoy that. But hey, if you're online with us, again, let me just welcome you the way we already have. Uh, Dave has welcomed you. Say hi to your online host, Eric. He's there uh, to chat with you. And if you need prayer or if you have questions about what we're doing, please reach out to Eric. That's what he is there for. Um, so one of the really cool things that happens for me this time of year, every single year, is I get to celebrate one of the most significant, important dates in my entire life. Uh, on July 31st, so here in 12 days, Jess and I will celebrate 21 years of wedded bliss. 21 years. Yes, thank you. That's And... You know, when I say that, I, I, I say wedded bliss, and I totally 100% mean that, but I, I, I think it's probably important that I don't put words in Jess's mouth and assume that she would say the same thing. Um, in fact, if you were probably to ask her if it's been bliss, she might kind of give you one of those not-so-enthusiastic shrugs and kind of say, ah, eh, it's been fine, you know, something like that. But whether, you know, somewhere in that spectrum of, eh, it's okay, or bliss, somewhere along the way, we're going to be celebrating 21 years here uh, in a few days. And, and, you know, if you're married or if you've been in a long-term relationship, you know that one of the things that happens is that you learn as much about yourself as you learn about the other person. In the first year of our marriage, I think I learned more about myself than I had in the previous 21 years at that point. I, I really do. I think I'd learned so much about myself. But one of the things that I've learned in the 21 years that we've been together, I mean, there have been a lot of lessons. Like, for example, I have learned something that James talks about in the letter and Dave addressed a few weeks ago. I have learned that it's, it's often it's better to listen than to speak. Have you ever learned that? Sometimes, it, it, sometimes it, the, the situation requires listening over speaking, and I never knew that until I was married. And sometimes, and, and, and another of the lessons that I've learned is that, uh, is that you know, when you're listening, it's important to listen for real instead of for pretend. Any of you gentlemen, husbands, you can relate to that. I do this thing where I look her in the eyes and I nod, and I, I'm there, you know, physically, you know, but I, my brain is on what happened in the latest you know, the Chiefs football game or what's going to happen or whatever. So I'm often, you know, learning more of these things about myself. I've also learned about myself that, uh, you know, when we have a disagreement, when we're arguing about something, I'm usually wrong. I heard a lot of people in first service come up to me afterwards and say, thank you for saying that. My husband is still trying to figure that one out. But I've also learned about myself in our relationship that when I am right, which isn't very often, um, it's still probably better for me to be wrong anyway. You know, that's just kind of the way it works out. 
So I've learned so much. One of the things that I've learned that has been most helpful is how God has brought together two unique, different people and brought us together and we complement each other so well. We're so different in so many ways, the way we think, the way we process things, so different. Let me give you an example of this. When I first married her, her stepdad uh, pulled me aside and he said, hey, listen, if she's anything like her mother, if she's anything like her mother, you better get used to the question, how hard would it be dot, 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 okay? My mother-in-law's laughing at this right now. How hard would it be dot, dot, dot? And, and so, you know, it'd be something like this. How hard would it be to build a deck off the back of this house, okay? Or how hard would it be to tear out this entire wall, which is a supporting structural wall, and put in a beam and double the size of this room? How hard would it be? How hard would it be to build a tiny house on the land behind our property? How hard, you know, and, and I'm, I'm telling you right now, all three of those, how hard would it be? All three of those scenarios are questions she has actually asked. I'm not making any of them up. And many, many, many more, how hard would it be? And so when Jess and I first got married, I was a young guy. I didn't grow up uh, where I worked with my hands very much. I didn't uh, learn a lot of that stuff. I don't think I was very mechanically gifted. I didn't have a, a, a liking for it, so I didn't pay attention to what my dad was doing when he was fixing things. So I didn't know how to do any of this stuff. And back then, 1999, when we were married, YouTube didn't exist. I didn't know how to get on there and learn in a quick few minutes how to, watching another guy fix the problem that I needed to now fix. I didn't know how to, and so I just didn't know what to do. And so whenever Jess would come to me and she'd say something, how hard would it be? But here's a real example. We had bought this house in East Peoria. It was a little Cape Cod house, and the main floor was pretty nice, but the upstairs was kind of run down and just hadn't been given a lot of attention in recent years when we bought the house. And she started asking the question, how hard would it be to renovate the entire upstairs? We had already had our first daughter was born at that point, and our second child was on the way. And she started asking the question, how hard would it be, thinking maybe turn this into a nursery? And I didn't know the first thing about how to renovate anything. It scared me. You know, I didn't, I didn't even want to take it on. So every time she would ask this question, my default answer, because she, she's not asking because she wants an answer. She's not asking so I can say, oh, yeah, that would be pretty easy. Or, yeah, that would be on a scale of 1 to 10. That might be a 7.5 or whatever. She wasn't looking for an answer. She was looking for me to do the thing she was asking about, right? That's how she tricks me into these things nowadays. She says, how hard would it be? And then I act all tough and like I want to impress her. And so I start doing it. And then I'm like, oh, how do, why, why are we doing this project? But she, so she started asking me this question. How hard would it be to renovate the upstairs? And every time she would ask those kinds of questions, I would just try to change the subject real fast. Like, oh, hey, did you hear about that new burger joint in the Heights? Man, I hear it's really good. We should go check it out. You want to go check it out? Yeah, let's go check it out. All right. And then, you know, I think, okay, good. I dodged a bullet. And pretty soon I'm thinking I'm in the clear. Well, it never worked. She always came back to it. In fact, one time when this scenario was going on, I was away for two or three days on a little weekend trip somewhere. And I came home to find my entire upstairs completely gutted. No carpet, no walls, just studs and, and nothing on the ceiling either. And so this is, and so this is what I would do. I, I walk into that situation. I'm kind of just taking it all in. I'm observing what I see, and I'm just looking around. And I look at her, and I say, so what do we got going on here? She says, uh, so we're going to renovate the upstairs. And I say, do you have any idea how to do that? No, but we'll figure it out. Uh, 
Do you know if we have the tools to get the job done? Oh, we'll find them. Somebody's probably got some we can borrow. How about the money? Have you thought about the budget? Yeah, we'll figure that out too. You know, her answer was always, yeah, we'll get there. We'll figure it out. And I was sitting there thinking, oh no, now I have to figure out how to renovate an entire upstairs. This happened more than one occasion. Another time it was the kitchen. How hard would it be to renovate our kitchen in this house? Uh, and I did the whole, oh, is that a dog barking? I better go check on the neighbor's dog. I'm going to, you know, so I'm outside and thinking I've dodged a bullet, but sure enough, I come in from work one day and the kitchen is gutted. So one of the things that I've learned uh, in the 21 years that Jess and I have been together is when, when she starts asking that question, I better develop a plan soon or else we're going to be neck deep in a plan, into a project with no plan. That's just kind of been the, the, the nature of our relationship for all these years. And so, and so one of the things that I've learned about us is that one of the primary differences between my wife and me is she is very action-oriented. I am very theory-oriented. She is ready to put on the, the work gloves and get going yesterday, and I need to see the entire project through in my head from start to finish before I lift my finger. And we are very different in this way but at my worst, I'm the guy who has 100 great ideas stored up here, but I don't act on any of them. At her worst, she's neck deep in a project without any plan for where to go next. So over the years, we have had to figure this out. And one of the great things that I've learned about us is that when action and theory work together, it's a powerful combination. We can do some pretty cool things when we figure out how to do them together. So in this series over the past few weeks, as Dave talked about a moment ago, we're, we're going through the series from the, the writer James. He was a man who was one of the really early church fathers. He had significant impact on the early church. And James's personality is probably more like Jess. He is all about action. His five chapters that we have uh, saved for us, preserved for us all these years later in the Bible are all about action. It's probably like 80, 90% act, 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 move, you know, do. And then there's a little bit of theory thrown in there. Paul was another early church father who wrote a lot of the New Testament. And Paul, his writings, if you look at them, they're about half theory and about half action. But James is just all about action. He's like, guys, this is how we do this. This is how we build the church. And we do this together. And so over the past few weeks, what we've been doing is we've been looking at the actions that build the church of Jesus. And today what I want to do is I want to I want to talk about the theories and the thinking and the, the, the understanding that leads to empowerment for those actions, because I think this is a really important thing. So a couple of weeks ago, Dave talked from James about a verse that James wrote in his letter that was very famous. It's that place where he says, faith without works is dead. You guys probably know that one. Faith without works in dead is, is dead. So in other words, it's like, it's like saying, you know, if you just believe a lot of stuff, but it doesn't affect the way you live and affect the way you move and interact with people, then it doesn't really mean anything. And that's kind of what James's whole point is. But I would contend that the opposite is equally true. Works without the faith and the, the belief system and the empowerment behind it are, are equally shallow and don't really make impact over an extended period of time. 
So what I want to do today is I want to read you a few verses from James chapter 3, and I want to just kind of explore this idea of the empowerment behind the actions that build the church. So James 3 verse 13, he writes this, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life. Do good, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, listen to these words, they're very strong, unspiritual, and even demonic, like have a, a, a negative spiritual power behind it. Verse 16, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. So this is really interesting. James is bringing these these dual realities to us, these two paradigms. And and he basically says this, there are two kinds of wisdom that are available to you. And these two different kinds of wisdom have two different kinds of actions. And the two different kinds of actions lead to two different kinds of results. And it's up to you to decide which of them you want to apply to your life. And so one of the kinds of wisdom is from God. That kind of wisdom leads to results like this, humility, peace, gentleness. It yields to others, putting the needs and the desires of others on par with my own. It is sincere. It is merciful and full of good deeds. The other kind of wisdom, thinking, leads to other things. It leads to jealousy, selfish acts, selfish ambition, boasting, lying, cheating. Those things lead to disorder and evil throughout the world. And what James is telling us is that you've got the choice to live in this realm or live in this realm. Be a part of contributing to society in this way or be a part of contributing to society in this other way. The choice is really yours. And so these two kinds of wisdom lead to change. Now, here's what I want to present to you today. If you are in a position where you're, you're listening to this and you're like, wow, I want to be a part of the, the good. I want to contribute to the positive in this world. I want to build the church, which is a, a, a movement of hope, a movement of restoration, a movement of love. If I'm going to be a part of that, then it's going to require a little bit of change. And you know where change always starts. You got to take one step before you take the second step, right? You've got to take some steps towards making the change toward living with godly wisdom. So I want to talk to you about just a couple things that will kind of help you with this. First thing I want you to understand is that you, if you are wanting to make this change in your life, you have to own the change yourself. You have to own the change yourself. Does anyone here remember that old show? It was an NBC show called The Biggest Loser. You remember that? Biggest Loser, it was kind of, I don't know if it's still on or if there's anything like it on TV now, but it used to be on, and it was this show where people who had really bad health problems, and it was usually weight-related, they were way overweight, and they had all the complications with that, high blood pressure and, and, and diabetes, and all, you know, and they couldn't get around, and just not their best selves. They would come on this show, and they would weigh in, and it was really humiliating and really embarrassing. They might weigh in at, I don't know, 
500, 600 pounds. I don't know what it was. It was a lot of weight, you know, and, and, and they would come in and they would weigh in, and, but they were doing it because they needed to make a change. And so they would go through the routines and the regiments, and there would be a personal trainer there with them. And so the personal trainer would wake them up, and the personal trainer would say, hey, it's time to work. It's time to act. It's time to do some exercise. So they'd get on the treadmill, or they'd do some up-downs, or whatever it was. They'd be, get working on things that they could work on, and they would move. And then there would be mealtime, and they would sit down, and a dietitian would bring them a really healthy plate, and they would eat that, and they'd be required to eat all the food. And there was all of these changes that they were making, but... But all of them were very externally motivated. In other words, it was a dietitian bringing me the stuff. It was a, a, a health, you know, a, a physical trainer getting me out of bed. And, you know, so there's all this external motivation. And for weeks, six weeks, I think it was, they would spend time and they would, they would get better and they'd get healthy and they'd just drop a ton of weight. And it was this real celebration. But then toward the end of the show, they would send the people home to begin to practice those things in real life. And you would see at that point who really owned the transformation versus those who, were, uh, who were needed the external motivation. And so the people who would own it would make those lifestyle changes. The people who didn't own it would fall back into their own way, old ways. And the same is true in, in this realm. Rome, in Romans chapter 12, Paul writes this. He says, don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world but let God transform you by changing the way you think. So what he's saying here is the behavior and the custom of this world is probably very similar to what James wrote about in the other kind of wisdom. There's the godly wisdom and there's this selfish wisdom, the self-centered and everything is built around me getting my way and having my thing. And I think that that's the pattern of the world that, that even Paul is talking about in Romans 12. Don't go that route. Go the route of letting God change you in all of your outcomes, in all of your actions by changing how you think. Does anyone remember the old Apple computers uh, ad from the 90s? It was Think Different. You guys remember that? Some of you kids are looking at us like you had no idea Apple even had one of those colorful logos, but this is what the logo was when I was a young guy. And they had this marketing campaign called Think Different. Now, I love the campaign. I think it's a great message. If you saw the full, I think it was a 90-second commercial they played with this. It was very inspiring. But the grammar snob in me, if I'm being honest, hates that they messed up the adverb and didn't add the L-Y to different. It should be differently, right? Is anyone with me there? Any other nerds in the house? Huh? It should be think differently. But Steve Jobs says think different. He knows a lot more than I do, so we'll go with that. So think different. Think differently. If you're going to make changes, you're going to have to see the world differently. So godly wisdom means this, essentially. It means you think the way God thinks, you see the way God sees, and you have perspective from God's position of perspective. So you might be thinking, well, how that sounds really good. How do I get there? Do I have to go through seminary? Do I have to earn some kind of doctorate? What kind of spiritual hoops do I have to jump through to be able to have this kind of wisdom that you're talking about, Andy? And the answer to that is very simple. This is where it begins. James tells us that how you get it is you have to ask for it. You have to ask for it. In James chapter 1, verse 5, he writes this, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. See, the only qualifier here is, you, is the only thing that makes you of this available to you 
is you have to be a follower of Jesus. You have to be a follower of Jesus. This wisdom is available to you if you're a follower of Jesus. And because James was writing to a Christian audience, he doesn't say anything else. He doesn't say, if you do this and do this and do that, then it's available to you. See, I think we have this faulty view of God sometimes where we're looking at God thinking he's looking for reasons to withhold rather than reasons to give. Like he's looking at you and thinking, let's see, got all this good stuff I could give to Andy, but let's see what bad stuff I can find on him that will disqualify him. Sometimes we think that way, don't we? But God isn't looking for reasons to disqualify you. He's looking for reasons for you to be qualified. And that reason is very simply faith. And what the following verse after that verse I just read to you, verse six, talks about is faith. Have faith. And, and the, the, the very ask, act of asking for wisdom is an act of faith. And so James is telling us, you have to ask. You have to step out. And God will provide it generously to you. It will be given to you. So why is this kind of change that we're talking about today? Why is it so important? I'll tell you why it's so important. Because we live in a world that is very divided. We live in a world that is very self-centered. We live in a world where people are more interested in being right and burning bridges to relationship than building you know, relationship and, and still standing for what they believe. But what this worldly wisdom, which is kind of what Paul was talking about, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. What this is all about is, is everything is about me. It's about my will. It's about what I want. It's, what, it's about me being right. And what that leads to is this self-centeredness, boasting, lying, cheating, stealing, winning at all costs kind of world. And then the godly wisdom on the other side leads to a place where people are selfless, where the needs of another person are just as important to me as my own needs, where we are generous to others, where we give people the benefit of the doubt instead of always assuming that guy meant to, he meant that at me. He was being rude intentionally to me. You see, the, the kind of wisdom that we're talking about today is the kind that, 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 that looks at a situation where somebody does something stupid and you're like, huh, I wonder, I, I wonder what was going on. Give them the benefit of the doubt, not assume the worst about the individual. So I'm telling you right now, this kind of wisdom is not natural to you. It's not natural to me. You may have a tendency to be a little more forgiving than somebody else, or you may have a tendency. So in some of these areas, you might be naturally a little bit better than I am. But I'm telling you, like the overall uh, ability to maintain this way of thinking and this way of living doesn't come from you trying harder to be nicer to people. It comes from God giving you wisdom and an ability and a perspective to see the world differently. And when you see what God sees, you see people differently. You would never tear down a person because that person has value to God. And so you would look at that situation, that relationship, way differently. No matter how much you disagree with that person, no matter how wrong you think they are, no matter how whatever you think they are, the person matters to God. And when you have that perspective, it changes the way you respond to their, their belligerence or whatever it is. When you see the hope in a situation, you can be the person who, like David said in the psalm, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear the evil because you are with me. 
See, godly wisdom gives you that kind of perspective to see even the difficult things differently. When you see uh, every situation, you have different perspective to handle the adversity differently from how you might otherwise. So I want to ask you again here this morning, and to those of you online with us as well, I I just want to ask you this question. What kind of world do you want to live in, and what do you want to contribute to? Do you want to live in a world where people have this selfish, natural, self-centered wisdom, where everything they think and everything they do is centered around what will make them look better and be better and feel better about themselves? Or do you want to live in a world where people put the needs of others at the forefront and they are servants and they are generous and they are kind? And, And we talked about what kindness is. It's when you lend your strength to somebody else in their moment of need or weakness. And, and do you, which one do you want to be a part of? Which world do you want to live in? And if your answer is you want the latter, the one with the godly wisdom, then it starts with you. It starts with you changing your thinking and changing your world. And then we will see the church be built through one person at a time, you know, one building block at a time, making the difference where they're at. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, thank you so much for this amazing opportunity that we have to partner with you in something that is so important, building the church of Jesus. Lord, we know that this is a mission of hope. It's a mission of love. It's a mission of of, of building people up. It's a mission of restoration. And God, we pray that each one of us would choose to be a part of that. Lord, those of us who have put our faith in you and are followers of Jesus, Lord, that we would make a decision to live and be governed in our minds by godly wisdom and not the wisdom of this world. We pray that we would put you at the center of every decision. We pray that through this, Lord, you would, uh, you would build your church. And God, we know that you are looking for reasons to find us worthy and to give us this good gift of godly wisdom. Lord, this is a process. This is something that grows over time. So give us the patience to learn, the patience to grow and take it day by day and trust in you along the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for braving, braving the storm. Thank you for being online with us this morning. We're so glad you were able to be with us. We're looking forward to seeing you all again next Sunday as we continue this Build the Church series. God bless you.